You're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. Earlier this year, the work of Emily Sowling and Dustin Wolkus was spotlighted at the 30th Annual Hawaii Conservation Conference. Wolkus is the seed bank curator and laboratory manager at Kauai's National Tropical Botanical Garden. He's working to save the rarest of the rare and the critically imperiled at the facility. He recalls seeing a hero in action on a visit to the National Seed Lab in Colorado many years ago, which he says sent him on the path of plant conservation. The shelf life of seeds is extremely challenging because many Hawaii seeds don't respond in the same way that seeds in other climates do. And that's a secret to unlock, as Hawaii has the designation as the endangered species capital of the world. It turns out that seed banking is the most efficient and cost-effective means of practicing ex situ or off-site plant conservation. And when I say most efficient, you can name your metric, whether it's time, dollars, human resources, electricity, water, storage space, whatever it is. It's the most effective and cost-efficient means of plant conservation. So we have a chance to really make a difference here in Hawaii. Interestingly, for these kind of big seed banks that you've heard of, maybe they focus on agricultural species, they kind of have one kind of condition that they are storing their seeds dry and cold. But it turns out that in Hawaii, not all of our species behave in the same way when we try to apply these conventional seed conservation tools. Mm -hmm. So in Hawaii, We've recently assessed 295 species in our native Hawaiian flora, looking at real-time aging, as well as how we think they behave when we try to apply these conservation tools to them. And it turns out that maybe around a third of our flora behaves in this kind of anomalous way, where the seeds will survive drying, but not sub-freezing temperatures long-term, although they'll survive it for few years. It's really, really very interesting. It's one of the things that I study is how long seeds last. And there's many different factors that will go into that. It varies by species, but it also varies by accession or seed lot collection. Well, I love that the topic of your presentation at the conference is, hi, I'm a seed and I've yeah. been stored here in this jar for 30 years. Yeah, so that's what I study is how long seeds last, how to make them last longer, and the factors that affect their longevity or their shelf life. And so with Emily's presentation, we have an herbarium here in our same building, and there was this jar that had over 12,000 seeds of an endangered species in it, and it was stored at ambient herbarium conditions. So that's with respect to temperature and relative humidity, the two factors that affect seed longevity the most. And interestingly, there is also desiccant or some silica gel or silica sand in the jar, but it was indicating ambient conditions. And so this was really interesting. So naturally, we were curious, you know, what is the the germinability or the longevity of these seeds? Now, they've never had a viability test, and we use the germination test for our measure of viability. That's the most robust test, and it gives us what we're actually interested in, which is like, well, we'll just make an adult plant. And so Emily took some seeds from each of the accessions that was in there, and all the accessions had passport data. And so she was able to germinate those seeds, and it turned out that they had extremely high viability, 100% germination in some cases, and I think the lowest was 73 We then accessioned these seed lots into our conservation seed collection because they have the passport data that goes along with them and because now they're high quality as far as their germination goes. So we're able to accession those, these endangered species, into our conservation seed collection. But these seeds have a type of dormancy called physical dormancy, which is characterized by a water impermeable seed coat. And this is kind of an interesting phenomenon can happen with seeds of this type where the seeds can lose water, they can desorb water, but because of that water impermeable seed coat, they cannot adsorb water. So they cannot reabsorb water. So because this jar had the desiccant in it, even though it was indicating ambient humidity, it could be that the seeds were dried initially, and even though they were exposed to ambient humidity for 30 years, it may not have mattered to the seeds because the seeds may not have been able to reabsorb that water. In this case, we knew because they had this water impermeable seed coat that we could bypass that seed coat. In this case, I think she used sandpaper or a razor blade or something to bypass that seed coat. And so we rehydrated them overnight after that because if dried seeds become exposed to liquid water, they can imbibe or drink in water so quickly that it causes damage. And so to avoid that, we rehydrated 
dehydrate them in high humidity after we bypass that seed coat. And these were Ojai seeds? Yes, that's right, which is in the legume family. What makes that seed bank there on Kauai different from, you know, let's say the ones here on Oahu? We all collaborate very closely together. We all have very similar setups. We're all in this network, the Hawaii Seed Bank Partnership. And so here, you know, we're a small collection, about 17 million seeds, about 5,000 accessions, but we're an important collection because we focus on some of the rarest of the rare. About 98% of those seeds are these Hawaiian endemic species, and which occur nowhere else on Earth. We have many different species that are extinct in the wild, but because of some of the efforts of our botanists that have been rappelling down cliffs, just to pollinate the plants and then come back later to collect seeds, these species will never go extinct forever because we have them in the seed bank. You know, we've watched the advent of technology with drones and drones with chainsaws, and they're equipped with arms that can collect things from the field. And so I imagine that that's such a, you know, tremendous help your research in gathering some of these rare plants, you know, in really dangerous spots. Oh my gosh, it's it's a complete game changer. Yeah, they're literally flying robots around collecting plants. And so they're able to collect the seeds directly, which is great for conservation of these species. But recently they've collected cuttings from these flying robots, thrown them out in the nursery, and then those cuttings have produced seeds. And so then we can serve those seeds in the conservation seed bank, completing the circle. And then we also do initial viability testing through the germination test with all seed loss that come through if they have enough seeds. And so we, we did that with these seeds too. And then we always transfer our little seedlings, our little germinants to our conservation nursery. And so it's kind of like the cycle coming fully around. And do you use plant cams? We sometimes do. So for example, there's a camera on the, the mamba, the arm of the drone. And then people will use kind of these like uh, game cameras that they'll put on plants to either observe the pollinator or to kind of cue you in on when they're flowering especially if it's a potential new species that had not been described previously, then getting it a flower is, of course, important. I recall talking to a researcher who said they had a plant cam and apparently a large tree fell in the forest and came tumbling down and cut this rare plant in two. And they had to, you know, then jump into action and get out on a helicopter to see if they could save this specimen. And they did. It's just really kind of heartwarming to know that all the work that you folks are doing out in these dangerous locations, it's making a difference. I mean, it's one plant, but that's one more that, you know, you've got that we didn't have maybe yesterday. Right. As you said, there's been some heroic effort from these botanists over the last 40 years, taking a helicopter, then hiking all day, then rappelling down a cliff, then hiking back to the helicopter and taking the helicopter back just to pollinate the plant, for example. So, yeah, pretty heroic. And we don't have a lot of lands that are appropriately managed. So seed banking has been called a genetic safety net. And in fact, in the global strategy for plant conservation, which has been adapted locally into the Hawaii strategy for plant conservation, one of the targets, number eight, um, suggests seed banking, and they've nicknamed this banking on nature. So luckily, we have seed banks that we can store seeds safely until the time is right to put them back out in nature. That was Dustin Wolk, a seed bank curator and laboratory manager of the National Tropical Botanical Garden on Kauai, which houses some 17 million seeds of rare and critically imperiled plants. Hawaii is home to the only seed bank in the country funded by the Department of Defense. The program has a $5 million budget and operates out of Schofield Barracks Army Base on Oahu's North Shore. In this next segment, we look at the cultural connection, spotlighting two Native voices working out in the field. Makanani Akiona shares that it was hula that led her into this career in conservation. Kumuhulu Mapuana de Silva brought her dancers out for a volunteer work program years ago. And it was there that Akiona discovered her deep connection to the Aina. We caught up with her in the lab, tending to native ferns. 
We are spraying these little keiki palapalai, also known as Microlepia stragosa. These palapalai spores were sown back in November 2022, and currently they are about one and a half, two inches tall. They are currently sitting in a mixture of vermiculite and perlite. And in a couple of months, we will move them out to our greenhouse where they'll get up potted and eventually be placed back into our, our forest. And they do like it wet. Akiona manages the processing at the Army Seed Lab. She has spent hours out in the field with the crew members battling the rain, the wind, and the sun deep in the forests of the Waianae Mountain Range, who share the urgency about the work they do. In the past, when I was on the field crew, we tried our best to constantly monitor these wild populations of Labordia sertandra, Geniostoma sertandra. It's up at Ka'ala, and these fruiting plants aren't always producing fruits. Rats love these fruits, and so our teams are constantly monitoring for reproduction for flowers. When they do observe flowers, they're setting out rat traps, and they're constantly monitoring for fruits, going out a couple times a month and harvesting mature fruits, then bringing back those fruits to the seed lab where we can process and store and grow these seeds. You have an area to an orchard. You can actually propagate some things and nurture them so that keep an eye on them better down here. Our seed orchard, five minutes away from our base yard where we are currently at, is a section where we hold some of our living collection plants of endangered species as well as common native species. One of our goals in creating this seed orchard is that we can plant an abundance of a certain species such as a'ali'i, for example. We planted about 40 individuals of a'ali'i, and in the next coming months, we were able to collect and harvest many seed from that collection versus our teams having to go out to the forest and spend many hours of scoping, of harvesting, of bringing those seeds back and then processing. So it cuts the time in half. So what is it about the work that you do that you love so much? Oh, I love my job. I am living my dream job. To me, being able to come into work and work with these, I consider them kupuna, these ancestors of our land. It's a privilege and an honor to serve to serve our land in this way, to secure these species that many people have no idea about. They're so entirely rare. And to be able to nurture and care for these species and in turn, hopefully put these species back into the wild in hopes that they reproduce and create keiki on their own is something that I stand by and that our program supports. The other Native voice that you'll hear is Kapua Cavello. She began working here in the 1990s and now manages the Army's Natural Resource Program, which includes about 50 members of field crews who are out every day. Recently, they were disheartened to learn that the invasive coconut rhinoceros beetle has made its way up to a pristine forest of native lolu palms in the Waianae Mountain Range. The Endangered Species Act exists to keep federal agencies from doing harm to endangered species. And so that is basically the reason we have the seed lab. It's our backup collection and our insurance policy in case, you know, something catastrophic happens on the range, a wildfire or something that burns the last remaining population. And it's incredible work. It's incredible science, right? I mean, we've come so far in 30 years of my career from, you know, not knowing how to store these things to being able to really represent them in collections and keep them for decades. So how many seeds do you think you've got here in storage? I think the latest estimate is 30 million. Yeah, we do have a lot of common native species that are part of that collection. So a lot of ohi'a, lehua, and if you've ever seen the seeds of that plant, they're like little dust specks. So it's easy to collect a lot of ohi'a. <laughs> and that, that bolsters the numbers substantially, but we do have a lot of species. What can you tell us? Because when you first started, though, I'm sure you just had a handful of people working on this project and, and it's grown. Yeah, so we partner with the University of Hawaii that provides our field staff and field crews. And so we have 50 people working in our program. And at any point in time, there's, you know, 25 people out in the mountains, primarily in the Waianae Mountains, doing management of native habitats and endangered species out there. So the piece that they do that, you know, connects back to the seed lab is that when they're out in the forest, we track, you know, when plants are potentially going to be producing fruit that we need to obtain to build our collections. And so they'll go to those field sites, make a collection and bring it back to the seed lab where they hand it off to Makanani's team for processing and storage. And so I imagine though, from year to year, maybe your focus will change depending on, I guess, what's 
critical. Yeah, 25 years ago, everything was a priority. Now we've got some real successes under our belt as far as building those collections and representing the wild populations that are out there. You know, we talk about them as founders, parents, basically, that many of the species we were working with had less than 50 individuals remaining in the wild. And so the focus obviously was on those species first to try to sort of stop the bleeding and prevent anything from blinking out. And then as we've checked some of those off, then we've moved down the line to ones with less than 100 or ones with less than 150. So yeah, Hawaii's situation is definitely dire for our endangered plants and you know all the conservation help that they can get. And the Army is a real amazing partner in that. And we were just poking around with some lolu seeds, and you had mentioned that you have some seeds in California? Yeah, so, you know, extreme situations call for extreme measures. So, as you're aware, the coconut rhinoceros beetle has really expanded its range on Oahu, and unfortunately, in the last three months, we made the first observation of coconut rhinoceros beetle damage to on our wild population of Lolu Prachardia Kaale on Ohiki Lolo Ridge, the southern ridge of Makua Valley. We've been sort of planning and anticipating this day would come, and ironically, we have these partners coming out of the woodwork to assist. The San Diego Zoo has a collection that was established in the 70s before the species was listed endangered, and the trees are healthy and happy, and so we're even thinking about trying to build that living collection there in the garden to represent as another backup opportunity. That species does not store using traditional methods, so they're just like little coconuts, right, the lolu, that you can't store that like by drying it down and putting it in the freezer packets. So we've got to come up with unique methods for trying to achieve the same end. So with the threat of the CRB, the coconut rhinoceros beetle, you know, they just found it on Kauai, but yeah, your concern is that it's really spread so much now throughout Oahu and it's getting to some of the more pristine forest areas. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we found the first coconut rhinoceros beetle chew on a lolu tree up on Ohikilolo. We're not sure that there's a breeding population yet up there, and we're hoping that climactically it's not as suitable for them to breed at those sites. But, you know, Oahu's a small place, and the CRB do fly, so they're going to get everywhere eventually. We also have Prachardia mardii in the Ko'olaus, which is, you know, a really important species across that habitat, that wet forest habitat. And the idea of losing that to coconut rhinoceros beetle is really sad. So we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. The ultimate reason why we started this seed lab was to store collections to be able to supplement and augment wild populations or to recreate populations as reintroductions. And we've done that you know, through the 25 years of this program's existence, starting in 1997, and we continually plant uh, between 1,500 and 2,000 endangered plants from our greenhouse every year. And there's a different species of focus, you know, or a few species of focus each year, depending on how the numbers increase and dip. But yeah, we're, we're probably in it for the long haul, helping these plants holding their hand into the future. Because you've worked with this program since 95, any particular project that maybe was just, wow, you know, we did it. You know, we saved this thing. <laughs> the sad story is that that would have been the lolu, the Prachardia kaale, right? So we controlled goats because they were browsing all the keiki plants. We controlled rats because they were eating all the fruit. If you go into the wild population in Makua, there's hundreds of babies. I mean, it's just burgeoning. It's It really has been our success story. So for us to find this new coconut rhinoceros beetle damage is really a depressing find because that we've, we've sort of held that up as our gold star, our gold standard all these years. So we move forward, we get a setback, <laughs> but we're always you know adapting and trying to improve. And then the significance with Makua Valley, because, I mean, that was a long time training range. Mm -hmm. And then you had the fires and things have bounced back. You know, there hasn't been active live fire training at Makua for many years now. And so, I mean, what we do has been rebuilding populations and saving native habitats. So in the recent years, there haven't been any real struggles or challenges there for our program. The support we get from the military is really very positive. I mean, we'd be able to do a really good job moving things forward. We really are a large contributing partner to the larger conservation effort in Hawaii. You know, a staff of 50 people, and there's not a lot of other programs that have that same staffing level. So for better or for worse, you know, the Army has been able to really support us effectively. 
That was the Army's Natural Resource Program Manager, Kapua Cavello. The seed bank sits adjacent to active military training areas. The head of the Rare Seed Program, Tim Chambers, works closely with his counterparts from other seed banks. Chambers feels the guaranteed $5 million in funding is impactful. It's really exciting that the U.S. Army has this contract because we are funded to do this work, and if we were doing conservation work outside of that context, we'd be looking for that funding to carry out a lot of that work. So it makes us much more efficient and directed. And so in the seed bank, we can see some of our conservation work through just kind of analysis of simple metrics like our collections growing or us understanding the best storage condition for a specific species and its seed. So once we understand, oh, this condition is going to allow us to maintain these collections for potentially greater than 50, maybe even 100 years. Those are really benchmarks of success because that information then can be taken that the Army is invested in and disseminated across the state. So other programs can use that information, right? And we make that available. So we do that through cooperation with all of the partners. Well, our area of operation is largely Oahu, so partners at DOFA, right, and through the Plant Extinction Prevention Program, through the Watershed Management Projects, and then across the state through sharing information about our successes or our research with seed storage, we can share that with Lion Arboretum and their seed bank. We can share that with National Tropical Botanic Gardens. We can share that with Maui Nui Botanic Gardens and the Hawaii Island Seed Bank, and vice versa. So we have a group that we work with under the Hawaii Plant Conservation Network, or Laukahi, through the Hawaii Seed Bank Partnership. We are working to standardize our approaches, share our experiences, do cooperative research so we can move that needle forward. And so this idea of ex situ conservation or conservation off-site, like through a seed bank or storing these things in tissue culture or in a living collection like at a botanic garden, these are absolutely necessary tools in Hawaii to move conservation forward. And so I, I think people sometimes don't see the ultimate value in the fact that we have several hundred taxes or several hundred species stored in a seed bank that we, if our research is robust, we know how to grow these things, we know how long they store, so when we pull them out, we can effectively and efficiently propagate them to reestablish them in the landscape. And I think when you look at across the seed banks in Hawaii, there's a tremendous diversity there with obviously Lion and have the highest diversity of plant species and storage because they're working across the state and our efforts here are largely focused on Oahu and we support work on Hawaii Island as well. So our goals are much more focused around the needs of the Army, but I think our impacts are very broad, right, because we can share that across our group of partners. Can you give any examples, success stories, or an area that you feel really proud that you worked really hard and you were able to bring back? Sicyos macrophyllus is one example that PTA, this is a species on the Big Island, and they had lost a population, and they had seed in their storage facility, so in a refrigerator, but they didn't have the capacity at the time to figure out how to grow it, and we, we needed to reestablish this population, and so PTA sent us a subset of seed, and we shared a seed with Lion Arboretum, and we, we have focused it in two directions. So Lion Arboretum operates a tissue culture lab, and so they're doing their work under sterile conditions. We work in this more conventional seed banking. Our lab is not a sterile lab, right? We try to keep things clean. And we both came to conclusions that, oh, we know how to grow it, and we use both our common approaches of research to develop an effective propagation protocol that could be shared back with PTA. So you put your heads together and... A, we know how to grow it. They can use that seed to reestablish that population. We knew that population was lost, right? It wasn't extinct from its whole distribution, but that population is lost. And when we lose the population, that's important genetic diversity that if we don't have seed collections representing them, we can't use that diversity in our restoration efforts or reintroduction efforts or our management to uh, manage this thing in place and keep it from extinction. So that's one example. Another example would be Guania vitifolia, which is called a Wahoo chew stick or Hawaii chew stick. Populations were known from Keao and Wainaikai, and as of 2018, there was only the Keao population remaining, but a fire wiped through that and destroyed what was a population of 70-plus wild individuals. 
However, through our collection efforts through time, we had a great representation of those wild individuals in the seed bank. Just we didn't have a lot of seed to work with, right? But we had those seeds. And so we started to regenerate those seeds in cultivation. So we built what we called the guanyard <laughs> because it's a vine also. And it's called vitifolia because it has the, the leaf shape. It's very similar to grape, right? So we built 50 plus trellises and we propagated all our collections and we took those plants and we brought them together so they could breed together and we could harvest even more seeds. And now we have seed of those founders that can be shared DOFA for reintroduction efforts. We're gonna duplicate those collections and then house them at Lyon so the state can freely withdraw accessions for restoration efforts in the future. So those are like big success stories. Here we almost lost a whole species on the island but we had the tools and now the ability and the opportunity to increase that seed and then make even more seed available for reintroduction efforts. That was Tim Chambers, rare seed manager at the Army's only seed lab in the country. Coming up on our Saving Seeds Trek, we go into Manoa Valley for a peek into a native plant conservation lab. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Mahalo for supporting our ohana on Maui who have been impacted by the recent fires. Thanks to you, Hawaii Public Radio raised over $200,000 for Maui. 100% of these donations will go to Hawaii Community Foundation's Maui Strong Fund. Your contributions will help over 50 nonprofits on the ground provide the critical care that Maui's residents need right now. Mahalo for your generosity and solidarity. Today we've been spotlighting the unsung heroes working in different seed banks across the state to preserve the future of Hawaii's flora. Nestled in the back of Manoa Valley is the Harold Lion Arboretum. It's been around for more than a century. The 200-acre public botanical garden is home to the most unique collections of plants in the world. Interim Director and University of Hawaii Professor Don Drake's specialty is the interaction of plants and the life cycle of seeds. The conversations Lillian Song sat down with Drake and other staffers who handle rare and endangered plants on a daily basis. One of the very convenient aspects of doing plant conservation is that you can store millions of seeds in freezers of modest size very inexpensively, whereas we have what, over 31 million seeds in our seed bank down here. Imagine trying to have a conservation facility where you had 31 million animals. It'd be impossible. One of the nice things about doing plant conservation is that for species whose seeds can be stored cold and dry, you can store a lot in a small space for very low costs. You know, many seeds can live for years, even under no special treatment by people. But when seeds are dried, they can be stored even longer. And when they're cold, they can be stored longer. And when they're cold and dry, those effects multiply. And so there's good evidence that these seeds that are in seed banks could be stored for certainly many of them for decades and possibly even for hundreds of years with little loss of viability. You have just started your tenure at the helm of the Lion. What is your vision for this organization here? Well, Lion Arboretum is a pretty special place. There's nothing else quite like it in Hawaii. And its mission has changed, of course, over the years, right, from when it first began as a place to test out trees to restore the watershed. And it has very important collections of plants living and growing out on the grounds. We have the largest 
diversity of palms of any botanical garden in the world except for one private botanical garden in Asia. So it really is a very important repository for plant diversity for a number of groups of species, including palms and figs and gingers and heliconias and so forth. But over the past 30 years, there's been an increasing focus on working with conservation of native plants in both the seed conservation laboratory where the seed bank is and in the micropropagation facility where they grow plants in tissue culture or they store them frozen at very low, low temperatures. And these facilities are actually good for those plants that don't do well in a seed bank because not every species has seeds that can be stored in a seed bank. What more should we be doing? Can we be doing How can we help? Yes, well, that's a good question. I mean, certainly ensuring that there is no further habitat loss because so much has already been lost. We need to maintain the habitat that's still intact. And we need to reverse the process and regain or reclaim some areas that have become disturbed or have lost their native plants and animals. And this is called ecological restoration. And it's one of the things that we use seeds in the seed bank for to go back when it's possible to manage sites and restore native vegetation, and then hopefully native animals will follow. Can you give me some examples of eco-restoration? Ecological restoration, well, Kaena Point, back probably the 70s and 80s, had vehicles driving around on the dunes, and there wasn't much out there but beach naupaka and, you know, tire tracks on the dunes. And then they blocked access to vehicles and some of the vegetation started coming back on its own. But then there were efforts to remove some invasive plants, bring back some native plants and just sort of manage it to allow the system to recover. And then very quickly we started to get albatross coming back and wedge-tailed shearwaters and so forth. And that whole system now, if you go out beyond the barrier that they put up to exclude non-native mammals, is one of the nicest habitats on Oahu. So it's a really good example of a successful ecological restoration project. Just up here above us on Manoa Cliffs, there's a a project where a small patch of forest that still had good remnants of native vegetation was chosen by a group of people who go up every weekend and they pull weeds, they plant out native plants and so forth. And if you look at before and after pictures of what they've done in the past 10, 15 years, it's really dramatic. So it doesn't happen overnight, but it's possible. And if people put the effort in, then their efforts will be rewarded. Those are two really great examples. It just sort of showed that there's not only one way to do restoration, right? The state government might do it one way, the federal government might do it another, an NGO might do it a third way, but ordinary people can find ways to do meaningful restoration as well. So for you, as you handle these rare plants, what's going through your mind? That's a good question. There's something very positive about growing a plant and putting it in the environment, particularly something that you know will probably outlive you. You may not live to see that plant get to its full size and take its full role in the environment, but you know that it's going to be there and it's very satisfying to have that kind of opportunity. And research and emphasis on conservation biology at UH led to the development of the Hawaiian Rare Plant Program and the state's largest seed conservation laboratory. The seed bank is housed in an unassuming two-story facility. Conservation manager Nate Kingsley takes us on a tour. So this room, the whole seed lab was just this room. How far you've come? <laughs> I don't, unfortunately, have a picture of what it looked like at the time. It started in 1995, so it's you know almost 30 years old. We have 27, 28 years of data for certain species that say that they can store in frozen temperatures no problem for 27 years and they're still viable. We have some that are shorter lived and they only last, well it can vary too, but they can last like one to five to maybe 10 years max. When we're testing these, we're constantly pushing that notion of our understanding of how long we can keep these in frozen storage. The ones that are shorter lived, the ones that we have a lot of data that says, okay, hey, after five years, they lose like 50% of their viability. We want to work with the collectors, which in this case is the state, 
to try to get these back out into the wild. So we'll germinate large portions of these seeds or we'll work with rare plant nurseries, send them back and let them sow a lot of these so that they don't die here in storage. You guys are holding more than 31 million seeds in your bank. There's even like 10 species that are just no longer found in the wild, but only here in your collection. That's correct, yeah. Largest seed collection in the state and rare plant repository for the state also. So we get the seeds from all the other islands coming here, or at least a subset of those, and we bank them for long-term storage. Are you like a bank where I have an account with you, and if I collected my seeds, I put it into my safety deposit box, which is your freezers, your fridges. Can I make a withdrawal? Is that how your seed bank works? Yes. Um, so for the most part, the partnership is with the state, the Department of Land and Natural Resources. So a lot of the germplasm that you see in front of you is property of the state. For the most part, we will always run a viability test as soon as the seeds come into our collection. That way we kind of have a bar at which to hold the standard of viability to as that seed remains in storage. And then we'll pull it out as we do our subsequent testing, depending on the data that we need and what we don't have and things like that. They will make withdrawal requests for these seeds. They'll ask, hey, can I, we're doing this reintroduction of species X at this site. Can I withdraw 500 seeds of this particular species? And we'll process those requests also. And so, yeah, we're essentially holding them until they can be used for reintroduction efforts. Wow. And let's say in the past four years since you've come on board, though, you've seen exponential growth and just how many partners are actually bringing their seeds to the Lion Arboretum Seed Bank? Yes, more collections and you know, with the ability to really process more, having that staff and having the equipment and the resources and hopefully new building uh, even more equipment and more resources, we can really hold so much more, work through so much more, process more, test more. And then that, that's also cyclical in terms of, and I can show you this also when we go upstairs, the growth chamber that we have that has just our living plants in it that are subsequent seedlings from germination tests that we will send out to rare plant nurseries across the state. And so we're cranking out so much more because we're testing more because we have more people and we get more seeds. So there's kind of that feedback loop there. What you're looking at here is um, we're running all these tests on auger or paper media. Okay. So in this space, you know, we probably are running 80 viability tests at the same time. And so you're saying viability, you're trying to germinate. All of these are up for germination trials. So tags are color-coded by island. Blue is big island species, yellow is Oahu species, and purple is Maui, Molokai, and Lanahi. This one's really cool. It was actually the first labeled endangered species here in Hawaii. It was last seen on Big Island in the early 1900s, I think like 1915, and then it wasn't seen again until 1979 or something like that. Visia menziesii. It's a legume, if I'm not mistaken, endemic to Big Island. So they had presumed it was extinct for over 50 years and then found another population again, and now we have the seeds of it for the first time in 2023. The seedlings from these germination tests, they're in here and then we're working with the state to get these back out into the wild. From here, they're gonna to go to those rare plant nurseries on each respective island that they come from. And once they're grown up to be pretty sizable, they'll go back out. Some unfortunately don't make it. Those ones that are hardy enough to make it into the end are the ones that are suited for planting out into the wild. So we, last year, we got 980 some odd plants back out into the wild really feels like you're already thinking like five steps ahead. What do you need to keep your seeds safe, continue to test them for viability, continuing to do the research. So you guys are banking a lot of data. As you look ahead, what is your vision for the seed lab? Well, the digital presence was huge. You were upstairs with Diane. Her whole project is digitizing and imaging our whole collection. That's been great because we can create this like online digital resource of our collection that can be accessed worldwide. Online, we didn't see a lot of seed banks doing that. Seed resources, seed banks, or barrier that have seed collections, whatever it might be, not uploading these or at least not utilizing these new technologies to really capture these images. You know, if you take those seeds I showed you in the drying cabinet earlier, those tiny, tiny seeds, if I took that with my phone far away, it doesn't do you any good in terms of the identification of that seed. You know, if you put that under the microscope, there's a whole world 
on the surface of that seed. And so when we started imaging these to develop this digital database of seeds, it's one of the biggest ones now for tropical seed banking and really one of the best digital collections right now out there in terms of the website. We really want to expand on that after I can get them all uploaded. I want to add seedling pictures. We work with these at such a small scale. They're, they're so tiny when we germinate them and we have them in our growth chamber. And some of these species that are, you know, maybe a millimeter or two or three big when they're with us grow up to be trees out in the wild. And so to have images of what the seed, there's a lot of pictures for some, I mean, some are rare, but for a lot of them, there are a lot of images of them in the wild or what they look like as adults, but there are no images of them as seedlings. And so we'd like to capture that. We'd also like to capture like cross sections of the seed to see what like the embryonic tissue of a lot of these look like. Also just continue to develop the website and really like have like all the statistics and data, having all the rare plant stats like the fun stats you know on on one website was 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 cool to do too and and have a place where we can update this constantly and make sure that that website stays relevant and current um, and then also just expand the collection I, i'm super excited about the renovation because it gives us the potential the possibility to exp like double at minimum are the capacity at which we can hold these seeds. And so, you know, if we have 31 million now, you know, we could have 62 million after this renovation and stuff. And, and as the state works with us and prolifically collects, we can continue to expand the collection and stuff. And, and it's been super neat developing our understanding, myself, students, other people that are working in the lab, our understanding of Hawaiian seed storage. Since we have one of the most comprehensive databases, it's nice to, to be able to really contribute to seed banking. And as you've been working here, what has been the most exciting seed that you've ever worked on? Or what has really, I can tell you're very excited about all seeds, but is there a species for you where you find, perhaps because they are so rare, this plant really needs your help? I really think, I mean, it, I don't have one in particular, but I can give you a group. These Hawaiian lobeliads, the Campanulaceae, they're Bellflowers, extremely beautiful. And a lot of them are super rare with very few populations left in the wild. And it's really, really cool to work with some of those. And some of them, the only place that they really exist, you know, in, in this case, in Exitu is here in the lab. And it's a scary thought, but it's also a neat thought to know that at least we keep them from completely going extinct. And they can just retain that extinct in the wild classification rather than full-blown extinction. That was Nate Kingsley, manager of Lion Arboretum Seed Conservation Lab. We also heard from Interim Director Don Drake. Expansion plans are in the works following major renovations of the facility, which are scheduled for later this year. We'll have pictures and a link to the digitized seed collection on the conversation page of our website later today. Today, we wind up our Seed Bank Hour with a look at the Hawaii Island Seed Bank in Kona. While the earlier banks focus on research and rare plants, the Big Island facility holds seeds for food, and it actually sells them. Joe Wagner is the founder of the Seed Bank and has worked with restoration projects for the past three decades. I started the Seed Bank in 2008 with a grant from Hawaii Wildfire Organization, and that was to collect common native seeds as a mitigation for wildfire. So I really started collecting common natives where some of the other organizations and institutions were doing research or collecting the most rare seeds in Hawaii. A little different focus. And you also sell seeds. So that's really yeah. a way to be able to get these seeds in the hands of landowners or farmers. That's correct. And we try to sell common natives so people can grow native species in their properties. But also, we have a partnership with the Hawaii Public Seed Initiative, which is a group of farmers throughout the state, not only Hawaii Island, but through the whole state, who grow Hawaii-adapted food crops. And we take care of their seeds, and they have a website, and they also 
sell very good quality food crop seeds, and it's so amazing. It's really a wonderful thing for our community to have. Because otherwise, if you buy seed, you're buying it from the mainland, and it's not really the highest performing because it wasn't grown here. Well, I recall a time when I was fortunate enough to go out in the field and go into the laboratory of Jim Brubaker, who did lots of research on corn seed and was instrumental in the industry as it is today. And I was just so in awe of his knowledge. And I remember he'd said, oh, yes, uh, one of our research students, we had a seed, Sweet Sarah, number 16, I think, or something like that. And that was a seed that you could buy at CETAR, at the seed lab in Manoa. They just found that it was a wonderful type of seed to grow here. Yes. That's right. And so farmers that do that kind of work and they do breeding, they figure out which crops are are really good, are really providing a tremendous service for our food sustainability in Hawaii and our ability to take care of ourselves. So it's really, really important. And I was just on the website for the UH Seed Lab at CTAR, and they have are running out of seeds. They're very limited with what they can provide the community. And I know there are some retirements in the future. And so you worry about the future of that lab and the fact that those opportunities may be limited in the future. That's right. And that's why groups like the Hawaii Public Seed Initiative who have stepped up for precisely that reason, they really want to keep it going with these food crop seeds. And they are dedicated to growing. And it's really neat because different farmers find what grows well for them. And so they focus on that. And so there's a huge range of seeds that they offer. And they offer the stuff that does really well. So it's great. And talk about your facility there on the Big Island because it's a bank. I mean, you you can store some precious cargo there. Yes, a seed bank is like a safety deposit box. It's where you can deposit seed. And the way we set it up is that any landowner, private landowners, the state of Hawaii, we have all kinds of partners who want to save seed for the future. So they pay a very, very minimal annual fee. It's $200 a year, and they can bank as many seeds as they want. When they're out in the field, they can collect and they can put their seed in their safety deposit box. The owner is the the landowner of that seed, and we just take care of that seed for them. So a lot of the seed is grown, you know, mitigation for wildfire or with native seed. And then the food crop people are selling their seed and making it available. But all of these things are really important because what I try to recommend is that people also save some percent of seed, maybe 25%, for the next generation. Because I want to make sure we're leaving for these new seed growers and these new land managers that they have a resource. There were no seed banks in Hawaii when I started doing forest restoration almost 30 years ago. So it's very, very important that we leave a resource for the next generation. You need the genetic diversity. You know, you need the variety. That's right. If you talk about native species, if individual mother trees have genetic diversity and if those trees die just by normal senescence and old age or if extreme weather events cause them to die, then we lose that genetic diversity from that mother. So we need to collect seed now when we have it and not wait. So that's what we do. We just keep going out and we keep looking and collecting. And your facility is described as off-grid. You know, you've got solar, hydrogen backup, gas. Yes, we have a solar-powered system, and we built it out of a 40-foot shipping container. And I was actually living in a shipping container that I made into a little cabin. (laughs) And I thought of the idea of making a seed lab in the same way. And so that enabled us to build something that's climate-controlled. Because the big thing about seed is temperature and relative humidity. So if you can control that, you can extend the life of seeds for decades or more. We also have seed banked in a large fridge at Rogers Ranch, Hank Rogers' property at Puvava, and that is solar-powered with hydrogen backup that you mentioned. 
So this is really a community effort. You've highlighted the need, you know, the SOS, right? Save our seeds. Now you've got to marshal the the army, right? I saw on your website, you've got the Amy Greenwell Garden Seed Collectors and, you know, folks that are out there doing their part. That's right. Each of these landowners or each of these participants collect seed. And it's really a wonderful opportunity for engaging volunteers because you can teach about taxonomy. You can teach people to identify species and to identify ripe seed. And people love to collect seed. So the more hands you have, the easier it is, and you can get a lot of seed. And then the beauty of seed banking is you can store millions of seeds in a very small space. So it's a really good conservation tool that is really effective. And is there anything else that you want to underscore to our listeners just about why the work that you do is so important for our future? Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate talking to you. And I I think that the main point is that everything starts with the seed. Whether you're growing food or whether you're doing large-scale restoration, we need to take care of the planet and we need to leave a planet that's well healthy for the next generation. And so we need to focus on saving seed now. And the more people that can get involved in that, that's just a great help. And it's a very positive and life-affirming thing to do. That was Jill Wagner, who began the Hawaii Seed Bank in Kona nearly 30 years ago. And that winds up our look at seed conservation. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the many hands who are working to save our seeds. That's it for our Hanaho show, showcasing those who have dedicated their lives to plant conservation, banking on nature, protecting the rarest of the flora across the islands. You can listen back to our program on the conversation page of the HPR website or sign up for the conversation podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Our program is produced by Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello, and our theme music is courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Tune in to HPR Monday through Friday at 11 and join the conversation.